Cool. Okay, guys, welcome to episode number 10 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. And uh, today I'm extremely honored to have Mark Watts from EliteFTS.com on the podcast. So thanks very much, Mark, for taking part. Well, I've, I've been a massive fan of your stuff um, ever since you uh, started putting out the podcast on uh, Elite FTS and became the education director there. But, you know, let's jump straight into it and talk about your earlier career. Uh, I read that you were a member of the, uh, the Marine Corps, so I was just interested to, to see how that experience was and how you eventually made the transition to becoming a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. I enlisted in Marine Corps, and uh, it was a tremendous experience. I was a 0341, so I was a, a board observer for 81 millimeter board, board platoon out of Weapons Company. I was a third battalion, eighth Marines out of Camp Lejeune, and um, which is the second Marine division on the East Coast for, for, for people that you know aren't aren't, aren't as familiar. Uh, and uh, you know, during that time, I kind of missed that window, and that's why I have a tremendous respect for the young men and women that are, are defending our country and any any. Yeah. And, you know, I know the army was was about the same. I think they did uh, you know a two mile run and push ups instead of instead of pause. But you know, and again, what you realize is that you know from a from a perspective of you know sports performance, and I'm taking a needs analysis of what those uh, young men and women need, need to be uh, successful to save their own lives and to, and to accomplish their mission uh, has nothing to do with some of the physical tests that they were they were going through. And I think there's you know that same argument can can happen with the NFL combine or but um, you know, fast forward, I uh, I knew I had to, I, I wanted to you know get an education, and, and when I when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to a community college. I I transferred to a Clarion University, played college football there as a walk on, uh, which was a humbling experience, but at the same time just valuable. And I stayed on as a student coach, uh, GA, and I ended up getting a, a master's degree in elementary education, and then. Um, Really, was all set to, to become a teacher, and then I end up getting into. Uh, uh, I got offered a job to coach football in all the positions with football because I had a passion for for training, and because I had a uh, 
uh, you know, I just had an interest in, you know, the, the physical aspect of those sports. You know, I was lumped into, you know, people don't understand that a lot of times in those small colleges, the high school, the, uh, some of the small colleges that don't even have a strength and conditioning program, it's always the coach that enjoys training or and everyone, no one's really passionate about it, then they find that the youngest coach, the one that just graduated, <laughs> you know, that, that has some experience with, with, with you know, training, the, the one that's the, the least uh, removed from it. And, you know, and it was one of those things. So every position I had was, you know, a position coach. And, you know, for example, I was a defensive line coach and assistant strength coach starting off, and then I end up uh, going through the ranks. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want to decide between I love coaching football and I love, you know, coaching strength and conditioning. I didn't want to decide. And I think at some point, you know, as coaching football as a defensive coordinator and I was a strength coach for all the sports when I was uh, at Denison University, and, you know, the one thing I realized is that the problem with, with, with a lot of the sports is that, you know, if you're a sport coach, if you're, you're coaching rugby, you're coaching soccer, you're coaching football, it doesn't matter. There's never enough time. You can always spend more time recruiting. You can always spend more time watching film. And yep. never <laughs> you know, and I realized that, that, that no matter what, I can, there's always something more I can do. And with strength and conditioning, it seemed like at the time, it seemed like it had a little bit of a finality. It had a, a, a little bit of, okay, this is my job. This is my, you know, this is, these are the teams I'm training. Uh, this is what I have to do to prepare for those sessions. And it, it still had, it, it seemed like it was going to be for longevity's sake, which was of a better scenario and you know little do I know that you know it's such a volatile um, you know profession right now in terms of uh, job security that uh, you know I didn't know that then but I would have never became a strength coach if it wasn't for a sport and you know from there um, I ended up uh, getting get a position I did, did every internship I could I interned at the University of Tulsa with Sean Griswold I, I, um, and I went out and I you know I got a position at the United States Military Academy at West Point, which is a really a unique uh, environment and one of the one of the positions that uh, you know I just it was, it was a dream job for me. Um, you know, my I end up having my wife end up donating her kidney to her dad, and then uh, her, her we had some health issues uh, within her side of the family. We ended up moving back to Columbus, Ohio, and and I went back to that same position at Denison. And what I realized is that those dual role positions don't understand a lot of times is that the strength coach and sport coach combo or the strength coach and athletic trainer combination which a lot of you know teams go with as well yeah they're, they're contradictory um you know it, and again i think that you know the problem is with a, with a sport coach is that your first priority has to be it has to be the program first and then you know the, the longevity of the program and then that team and then the athlete and i think with for a strength coach and athletic trainer it has to be the opposite it has to Absolutely, yeah. You have to be an advocate for those athletes, you know, even in spite of the sport coach. You have to be the one, you have to be their voice. And, you know, so that was a very tough, you know, um, dichotomy really to kind of grasp. I I don't know if I did the best job of it, but, you know, I knew at some point that it got to the point where I had to get out of coaching just from a family position just because I think that, you know, one of the things that, that people realize is that no one's bending over backwards to add a strength coach. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that there, there aren't, you know, especially over here, there aren't, you know, uh, high schools and small colleges that are adding positions. Um, it happens, but, you know, the thing that we haven't done a good job of as a profession is to really advocate for our own worth. We haven't 
convincing the powers that be that, listen, you need a strength and conditioning coach. And, and even that term right there, I've heard you know, Bernie Gambetta talk about, I was always um, annoyed when people would call themselves something other than a strength coach. All of a sudden, they're a sports performance coach or a physical preparation coach. And I'm like, what? who is this person? Why, why aren't you good enough? Or, you know, why, uh, why are you too good for that term strength and conditioning? But when you think about it, listen, I hadn't really agree with, I agree with that until I listened to Bernie. Talk about is that the position of strength and conditioning is just first of all it separates the two, and second of all it it, it just it really limits us as professionals on what our job is. And I'm not saying that getting people stronger is not the most important thing we do, but it also it, it just it just kind of puts us in a small box. And I think you know it goes back to uh, uh, you know that, that going back to the worth of of the strength coach. And, you know, the, the problem is, you know, I knew at that time in my life that, you know, there was no, it's a financial thing as well, to add a position just to do strength and conditioning. In some senses, what I was trying to advocate for was, listen, if you add a full-time strength coach at the high school, at a small college, wherever you're talking about, that's an assistant for every single coach. Because what people don't understand, I know I'm, I'm talking specifically, you know, in the States, but people don't understand is that for every school that doesn't have a strength and conditioning coach, that's an assistant that has to perform those duties, which may be not qualified or just doing it because they get maybe a stipend, they get an extra, you know, a couple grand for that year uh, or not. Maybe that's just part of it. And then all of a sudden now we have people that are not as educated, not certified uh, coaching athletes um, to in sports performance. And that's how you have these issues, you know, that, that come up. I mean, yeah, you had a major, major university. That you know, Ohio State, which is right down the road, just had a an incident. They had their second incident of so, uh, rhabdo, um, you know, and you, you hear the second time, uh, both incidences, the sport coach was the one that was heavily involved in both incidences. So, you know, and, and really, so I think we have to do a better job of advocating for for adding those positions. And I knew in my situation, I just didn't, uh, I you know, from the family, it just there was never an endpoint. You know, I was kind of stuck with that strength and conditioning for all sports and sport and, and also coaching football and it was never going to separate my position they were never going to add a position for it because of financial reasons so uh, I knew I had to I had to get out and that's why I emailed Dave and you know I think the, the title of the uh, the subject line was uh, I'm gonna miss every shot I don't take and uh, I just didn't it took about you know Dave is very if anybody knows Dave Tate he's very calculated he he uh, you know he's he doesn't make any you know, short-term emotional decisions, and we talked for a couple months about, you know, what position and what, if I could add some value and worth to the company and help the company, um, and, uh, you know, we ended up coming to, coming to terms, and, and uh, he hired me on, and that was June, uh, I, I started in June of 2003, or 2013, sorry, and, um, you know, since then, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been something else, it's, you know, I think any time, and I think you, you, you probably understand this, is, you know, anytime you're in a position where you're kind of, uh, if you're the first, you know, coach in a certain position, or if you're the first one to have a position, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard. It goes back to, you know, do I know if I'm doing a good job or not? If I, do I know, and do I, I really understand, you know, it goes back to Lencioni's, you know, three signs of a miserable job, you know, do I know that what I'm doing is important? Do I know that, you know, can I, can this job be measurable? You know, can I, do I know if I'm doing a good job or not? And it, do, do people know who I am and what I'm doing? So, um, you know, Dave has, has given me a platform to, to connect with some coaches and, you know, and, and the problem is, is that, you know, and I just, you know, listen to your schedule, uh, 
it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people that are writing and doing videos and doing all these educational pieces, you know, they're not training anybody. Yeah. And I'm in a position now where it's like, that's great, but who, who when are you training all these people? You have all this time to do these other things. Instagram. And now, <laughs> and now I'm finally in a position where, you know, and like I said, I think we're, we're in a very similar position there where, you know, you have people that can do it and get away with it. You know, Ron McKeever does a good job and, and uh, you know, it, but at the same time, a lot of, there's a lot of great information out there that those coaches, they, they don't really have the time to advocate for themselves. And, um, you know, as far as their, their own knowledge. So uh, I think it's been a pretty good platform to try to get that information out to coaches uh, because, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's also unique to have it. So um, a lot of these situations, I've made a ton of mistakes. I've been to where I've had the same frustrations as a lot of these coaches now. So I think and I hope that people understand that I'm not trying to sell uh, anything. I hope people come to EliteFDS.com, you know, if, they, if, they, if they're in a situation where they need stuff. But at the same time, I don't have an agenda except for trying to get the best information that I can out to, out to those coaches that really are passionate about learning. So that's yeah. kind of where, where it's all been. Well, it's, it's funny you should mention um, when you came on at Elite FTS because I was I was lucky enough to visit there with, with Jay about a month before you were appointed, I think. And yes. Um, yes. we were talking to, to Dave at the time and he, he kind of said, you know, I've just appointed this guy. He's going to do the education. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then obviously a couple of months later, you were um, pumping out the podcast and that's what I listened to on my long bus trips in Argentina. So much appreciated. <laughs> And you, is it right that you're the, the director of the NSCA for the, the state of Ohio? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, like I said, I, not every state has a, a director, but um, I, was, I was on an interim basis, um, and, then, and then that interim, and I had to kind of reapply for that position. So uh, I just got renamed again now, so there was kind of a long period in there between the last state clinic and, and, and this, this year that uh, there was. But, uh, you know, and like I said, I think that is trying to do is you know trying to get as much information out there and, and they gave me some pretty you know uh, I, I guess they gave me autonomy as far as you know we, we've been fortunate enough to have you know before I even started here having you know Dave out as a speaker and um, you know having Cal Dees and Brian Mann and Meg Stone and a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the Dan John you know a lot of the heavy hitters in the industry we've had you know been able to have for a state clinic and and that's really what what it comes down to and I think that uh, Yeah. You, uh, you know, you had to every once in a while you get a newsletter from Lead FTS or you get I mean but you you had to go and just go see people. You had to go find them, you had to go drive. I remember, you know, 
the same with Chris Doyle at the University of Iowa for, uh, for, for a day and a half just because that's just what you did back then. And I don't know if we're getting away from that or not. The problem is there's so much information on the Internet, you, you just you need a filter. You need someone to say, you know, people don't need you know, information they can access. I heard this from, from Tim Elmore, who's an excellent speaker that uh, deals with you know, leadership for, for young people. You know, they don't need they don't need uh, you know access to information. They need to, to be able to process and interpret that information, and that's the problem. That that uh, that's the critical thinking skills that you know I think young coaches aren't getting yet because they see all these things and this is neat, but they don't know how to apply it to their own situation. And um, you know, so I think what 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 the NSA is trying to do is is just really get get people out there. And I think you know, and people had asked me about you know certifications, and, and I know that every you know, every country is different and every situation is different. I think it's it's more about the context than it is the content. And I think that, you know, uh, you, you know, no one has ever gotten a job because they were certified. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, well, I'm certified now, so I'm a good coach. No, no one said that. That's, that's, not, that's not really what it's about. But what it is about is that, you know, I think if you, most of the people that don't want to get certified are just not in a situation where they need to be. Um, but not having certification has kept a lot of people getting a job because for me as an employer, you know, it's, it's going to mean something in a court of law if you ever get in that situation. And I think it just it just provides the basic context that you are going to keep your athletes safe and you understand the basic scientific principles. And, and I think that obviously it's, it's uh, you know, if, if I'm a young coach and I'm, and I'm looking to get a position, I sure don't want anything to keep me, uh, you know, I'm a good candidate and accept or, you know, I don't have a degree, I'm not certified. You have to, you have to still jump through the hoops. You have to still go through that because it's a, it's a very highly competitive uh, market, you know. So, you know, that's, that's the thing with, with, the, uh, with the state director. We try to do a, a seminar once a year, a uh, clinic once a year, and just try to, try to advocate for um, just, just, extent, just, a, just a knowledge uh, to be passed around. I think sometimes when you break down these barriers between, between different groups and you can really see that there's a – there's a there's a lot more similarities than there are, uh, you know, than, than there are uh, differences. And you know, I remember back when, you know, when we first started. I mean, they have you know, all the, you know, there's always been these these differences of opinions. And of course, when I first started, it was always the Olympic guys versus the high intensity guys. You know, the hit Jedi's. And heck, you ask young strength coaches now, they don't even know what the a hit Jedi is. You know, <laughs> they, don't even, they don't they don't understand how passionate how just I guess just aggressive some of these 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 debates would would you know come on on you know whether know where it was and and I think what what people start to realize between the functional people the you know the people that are following the conjugate the west side and the Olympic and, and I think what, what happened was is that it's kind of like the, the, the evolution of what when you watch like the early UFC days you know the early MMA days well they always pitted this you know this grappler against this person that knew jiu-jitsu and they had a, a striker versus a uh, you know wrestler and, and what happened what, what ended up happening was that sport evolved to the point where everyone needed to know how to grapple everyone needed to know how to you know had to have some takedown defense or can submit somebody or can strike there's no such thing as someone who can't strike or and and i think the same thing is happening with strength and conditioning i think you know when people aren't getting out of these boxes to say okay i'm a this guy or i'm a that guy well the problem with being a kettlebell guy or I'm a uh, you know, high intensity guy. The problem is is that you know if you own your own business and you own your own facility, you can be whatever guy you want to and as long as people are coming to the door, you're good. Yeah. The problem is is that as, as a strength 
sector if you're not calling the shots. Well, you go from one place to another, and you better be able to be adapt to that. You know that that uh, you know that that next you know training philosophy that that your boss has. I, I got a rude awakening when I went to Army for the first time. And of course, you know I was a West Side. I guess I was a West Side guy that wanted to do Olympic lifting, right? I was you know I was gonna you know I thought I knew everything back then, and you know I, I was gonna change the world with with everything I was doing and that was you know, I, I really thought that what I was doing was going to be make the most difference not recruiting better players but anyway um, when I got to Army I remember a couple of one of the assistants Corey Crane is probably one of the most brilliant coaches I've ever met you know he asked me he says you know why are you doing this you know and why are you doing Olympic lifts and I said well because and of course I gave some some answers that I was kind of half-heartedly believed in and you know he asked me about the doing the sliding filament theory and how myosin acted know the difference between whether you're, you know, cleaning a barbell or jumping and, you know, and I, he went through basically from, and broke it down that to the point where I said, you know what, I don't really know why I'm doing things. And if I don't know why I'm doing it, like, I really need to, I really need to, to check myself. And so all of a sudden, I could have been as, as ad, I could have been the hugest, the biggest advocate for Olympic lifting anywhere. But when I got to West Point, we have, I, I had my own separate weight room and, and two-thirds of it is machines. Well, it doesn't matter what I thought about. And I had my boss that said, you know, listen, you don't have any bumpers down there. You don't have anything. I don't want them doing Olympic lifting. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I needed my job. And what I, what I learned was that I didn't need to do, there wasn't anything particular I needed to do to get our athletes better. I just needed to find what was best in that situation. I didn't have to say, okay, if I, you know, I think what happens is the best coaches out there says, listen, So, yeah, well, I can definitely relate to that situation. I've been there before. <laughs> um, what, what do you think are some of the biggest weaknesses that you see in, in young coaches coming into the field? Obviously, you have quite a, a, a perspective on that in the position that you have now and with, with the NSCA. What are some, some big gaps in maybe knowledge or experience or skills that you see that are preventing guys from getting positions in the field? and really and, 
internship program we had, you know, year one, which was the second time I came back, was you know was was 2006 all the way up until 2013. It was a night and day difference because of all the mistakes and all the things that I'm thinking. You know, we didn't do a good job of this or that. I think the, the to answer your question, the, the biggest thing I think is expectations, and I I really do believe that there are still to this day that get their degree in exercise science or kinesiology or whatever it may be and say, okay, I got my degree, I'm ready to be a coach now. That was me. And I'm not saying that that degree is not important. Uh, I, got, you know, I talked to uh, Trevor Cash, who's, a, who's just a, a brilliant um, individual that I met for the first time in person at the Arnold this year and, and, and talking to him. And, you know, you know, an exercise science degree, you know, people want to argue whether it's worth it or not. Yeah. And I think too many times is that, you know, I think with an internship program, I mean, you have to have, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to be an intern. You're going to have to acclimate your, yourself terminology-wise uh, and, and how, how that coach wants business done very soon, very early. It has to happen very quickly. But 
the same time, that internship should provide that intern the opportunity to develop their own coaching philosophy. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to just cookie cut whatever, you know, whatever that, you know, whoever you intern for, you're going to do what they, they do exactly. I think part of the internship is learning what you don't want to do. And I would, every time I had an intern, I was like, listen, what would you have done differently? What would you do differently? And I, and I see them getting jobs after the fact, and they're not doing things exactly. I see a lot of similarities, which is an honor for me. You know, it's humbling. But at the same time, uh, you know, you have to provide that intern the opportunity to develop their own philosophy. And I think it's, it, that that's kind of a, and, and not, that's the hardest transition when people do an internship is that how do I get on the same page as this coach? So whatever he wants done, doesn't even hesitate. I get it done. All of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one. Of, I have. I'm, I'm taking the initiative to get the job done. There's never any issues, and I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing the job based on what's in the best interest of the student athlete. And balancing that with, okay, if I am a head coach or I own my own facility, would I really do this? And I think you have to be able to, to provide that 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 dialogue. And I think that that's that's you know 99% of the time what you're going to learn. Is going to be on the floor with the coach, listening to a coach interacting with that that athlete, listening to uh, two athletes interact with each other about what a coach says, and, and, and you know interacting with the athlete yourself. And I think you know that that internship is so valuable, and it's frustrating. You know, I have a I you know there's some former interns that you know there there might be on their third or fourth internship. You know, this is the only profession that you do a free internship in order to go do a free internship. <laughs> school and it's still a free internship you're still not making anything and you know you're still working really long hours for nothing and you know so at the end of the day i think that has to be a check for both people if you're providing an internship you have to make sure that it is going to be educational based that you have the time the worst thing i did was i i, got, I had an intern so i could get teams covered so i could have coaches for teams and it's like why then it was the biggest mistake i made it's like why would i bring someone in you know that doesn't know themselves because they have, you know, again, they don't have the, the, the right supervision and, and training and mentoring that they need. So, you know, at the same time, I think that's one of the most important things is, you know, treating that internship like it's a full-time job. And I think that, that you know, that's why I talked about before is like you have to make sure that I think the other thing the internship does, and this is probably the third and, and, and final probably piece besides, you know, going through the hoops and, and you know, getting that experience however you can you know, but the other thing is making sure that it's really what you want to do. And I think there's nothing worse than, you know, going, you know, halfway through, through you know, you're six weeks into a 12-week internship and you say, listen, I don't want to do this. Well, you can't quit because you'll never be able to use that on your resume again. You know, you can't, you know, you can't, they got you then. You know, you have to, you have to fulfill your, your obligation. But at the same time, you got to learn pretty early whether that's what you want to do or not. And I think that, you know, too many people, they want to be a college strength coach. And, you know, you always ask why. Why do you want to be at that level? Is it because you like that age group? You like to, to mentor and, and help that age group, or you know, do you like that you know the, the college setting? You don't like business. Most people that want to be college strength coaches, they don't want to be in the private sector because they don't want to sell. And what they don't understand is that as soon as you become a college strength coach, you're, you part of your job is selling, just in a different way. Yeah, you got to sell to the sport coach. You know what you're doing. You got to sell to the athlete that what what you're doing is going to help them. You know because some there's some you know the the, the athletes really didn't pick. That's the difference, I think, between private sector and and, 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 the, and you know this by you know 
of situations, it's not like they sign up, like, yes, I want that guy to train for me. And no, that's, they get the coach that they're assigned, you know, and especially even, even the head coaches sometimes, unless it's football or, or men's basketball here in the States, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a soccer coach, like, you don't get to pick what strength coaches work with your team. You can have some feedback, but you don't really, you're not hiring that guy. You know, the head strength coach is hiring an assistant to work with your team, and you have to, you know, build that relationship. So it starts with sales anyway. So that's the one thing I always thought was kind of kind of funny is that people don't do it in the private sector because they don't want to be salesmen. Well, you have to be a salesman anyway. And, and, and if you believe in what you're doing and your first interest and your, your number one um, concern is those student-athletes, then you don't have to sell anything. You just be yourself, and you, that, that'll sell uh, everything that you're doing. So. Oh, I 100% agree about the uh, the salesmanship. You know, in in rugby, you get those guys towards the end of the career not interested as much. Like that's yeah, that's a yeah. tough sell. <laughs> you know that, you know that as well as anyway. Yeah. Now, on the subject of internships, Mark, um, I've, I was in a, a conversation on Twitter the other day with with some English coaches, and this subject came up, and it's the opinion was of a few coaches that internships in the UK have got to such a point now where the industry is so oversaturated that perhaps organizations and clubs are starting to take advantage of people and maybe use mentoring and internships more to, to like you said, get free labor out of people rather than um, necessarily develop coaches or, or pay them what they're worth. So to give you an example, there was an internship advertised um, which required a master's degree uh, UKSCA accreditation and coaching experience for a year, um, three days a week, uh, unpaid. So no expenses, nothing like that. And obviously with those other four days of the week, that's going to be extremely hard for a person to, um, to support themselves. And it kind of makes me think that if, if this is how the industry is going to be now, how's it going to be in five years? Cause obviously it wasn't as bad five years ago. How's it going to be five, 10, 15 years into the future? And, what what would you say we need to do as a field to uh, to make sure that we're not taking advantage of people and actually we're getting the best out of them, developing them as coaches? That's that's a tough question. It's a great question. It's just a, it's really tough to answer. I think, and, and I think that there's there's always parallels, whether it's, it's over um, over in Europe and the states and in Australia. It, it doesn't matter. I think there's always going to be parallels. And um, nowadays, I think you know the good thing with the social media is that those barriers are, are really you know cut down how people do it in different parts of the world but um i don't know if i have the, the answer but I, I do think a couple things first it should at some point come around not full circle but it's going to come back around and i think here's why i think if you do have and i'm not saying there's not but i think there are you know sometimes they don't have interns some of, the, some of the schools here, they might have close to, you know, 12 to 16 interns. And what happens is they, you know, and it depends on how they do it. And that's, that's not for one team. That's for, you know, that's for, you know, you know the whole Olympic, you know, sports side. Um, there's a couple of rules that, that hurt with that. For football, and everybody wants to be, you know, obviously a strength coach for American football. That's, 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 that's the dream for a lot of people. Um, but the problem is with the NCAA rules is that if I'm going to intern with the, with, actual, you know, Division One football team, you know, most likely they already have five coaches, and you cannot have more than five coaches coaching. So right now, before you start an internship, you understand your job is not about coaching. Your job is about basically what, you know, part 
part of see, and again, I was lucky when I was in Tulsa because first of all, Grizz um, was he allowed me two things that, that, that he did. Number one, he treated me with respect in front of the in front of the athletes, which that 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 was the number one thing you could do as a coach. If you it's massive. Other coaches, it's 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 how you treat other coaches in front of the athletes that will that will persuade their their biggest influence and how they feel about you as a coach. And so he treated me like a coach, but. At the same time, I was a workhorse. He didn't have to tell me twice that you know I would take a five-gallon bucket and pour you know the, the weight gain powder in there and, and, and fit, you know with a uh, and I had a paint mixer and I would mix the supplements and clean that out and wipe down the benches and pour, you know four-way net with every player and, and it was just that that's just what part of what it was. Now the problem was without being able to coach athletes, without being able to watch an athlete squad or be able to interact. That, that, that internship would have been worthless to me. And I think we're getting to the position now where it's that I think a lot of coaches are in that they want things done the way they want it, but they want all these interns to do those menial tasks. And if they're not actually learning how to coach, it's going to come around full circle because it only takes a few of those intern cycles for people to say, listen, I interned at, with, with that club for you know six months and, and I really didn't learn anything from them. I just, you know, they didn't let me do anything. I didn't learn anything. I wasn't able to use any of those skills. And yes, I could put that on a resume, but all of a sudden now you're back to the point where you're checking boxes. And all of a sudden when you, you, you know, that internship gets you maybe that call, gets you maybe that, you know, into the front door, but all of a sudden now you don't have that skill set to really maintain, uh, you know, you know, now you're still, even your first job after that internship, you're still learning by fly, but you're learning fly because you never really been able to use those skills. So I think it's going to come around, um, and I think what, what's going to happen is coaches are going to have to realize that, listen, I can't just have free labor. It's just it's not going to work like that. It has to have an educational component because if not, we're going to run out of internships. I'm sure, or what's going to happen is the quality of interns are going to become lower and lower. So all of a sudden now, those 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 you know highly motivated, passionate interns that will do anything uh, you know to, to become a strength coach, you're going to really burn those guys out. And I think that what happens is, you know, we fall into, if you listen to Adam Fight, you know, he talks about the three L's and everybody wants to be in, you know, the the, 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 the lust of being, you know, a big-time coach and it's a logo and, you know, being proud to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, strength coach here, you know, with this club or this university. Um, and I, I think those those L's, you know, the, the they get really, get, they get people to the point where they're, they're losing sight of why they got into it first place right i mean did you really become a strength coach because you wanted to be a part of this organization or did you become a strength coach because you want to mentor people to help people to teach people you know it's it's like it's the same thing when people get into strength conditioning because they love working out it's like that's dumb like <laughs> yeah anywhere like, like you know volunteer for you know 90 hours a week so you can work out like you can work out anywhere um you know be in a situation where you want to help people you want to teach people and that's I think that's it and if, if people don't have the opportunity to do that they're going to learn pretty quick because I just did three internships and I know nothing still all I know is how they do things and if the, if the coach is in an open book if they're not basically giving them everything they got and this is this is everything I know and that's the one thing and, and I think you know this but you know we have people on the podcast you know every guest that I've had has been just an open book like this is everything this is everything I know why am I going to hold back because you know, and, and that's why they're coaches. Coaches don't necessarily, they don't have anything to hide. You know, they're not, most true coaches 
sell their ebook. So they're going to keep things from you and help you buy stuff from them. So we'll tell you later. That's that's not what coaching's about. So um, you know, it's the same thing. I, I think that'll come around. Um, to go the second point, I really do think that if, if, if you are looking for an internship, I mean, it's to the point where you know when I had I had uh, an intern from from Ireland that came over, and um, you know the first thing we had to do is we had to find him a place to live, and we had to find him. Um, we had to find him a part-time job because I knew that he wasn't going to be able to maintain that lifestyle. Or, well, not lifestyle, just he wasn't going to be able to survive yeah. without it. You know, and I think that, um, and I think when people start to realize, this is the one, the one thing where, where with, with interns, especially over here, you know, every time you see a job board over here, um, Karen, every, every time it'll say, Compensation is an unpaid internship. You know you'll get experience and you know whatever. You know every single one. And I think if if any of those people would figure out that with my internship I had housing, they put me in a dorm room for a summer, and that that's the only reason why I was able to make it work. Because if people would figure out that if you could just give those, okay, I'm going to give you a meal plan. You know I'm going to you know work out a deal with the with the local restaurant that hey you know give these guys you know give these guys a free lunch every day. And we'll put your logo on our waiver. Well, I don't know what, you know, how would you want to work it out? Just yeah. Kind of spitball, but you know, uh, you know, giving them a, a, a meal plan at the cafeteria, you know, that's just things like that. All of a sudden, now you're going to get a better quality of intern. You know, and right now it's like it's just amazing that you have to have you know two years experience, you know, or a year experience, and you have to be certified, have a degree, in order just to do an unpaid internship. But that's the way the profession goes. And for everybody that thinks it's not it's unfair, there's 20 more people that will say, I would do that job in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> because they know that's the only chance you got to get where you need to go. And I think people are going to start to realize, I think the one, the biggest thing that hurt us over here in the States was when they cut all those government positions. Um, all of a sudden, when, when uh, they had the Thor program and every branch of service had a program where they would bring sports performance specialists in, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a certified athletic trainers, physical therapists, and they would have basically a performance team, a human performance team for each uh, individual base, and it would work through. Um, you know, they would have an actually certified strength coach with most likely college experience, because what people are realizing is that that tactical side is so similar. To, it's more similar to uh, what uh, you know a, a rugby player does, you know, than it is you know normal uh, you know everyday you know soccer mom does. So. People are realizing that there's such a similarity, um, and that was an outlet for a lot of these strength coaches. So, okay, I could do. I might not be in a college, but I could be on a military base, and I could have a better, better, you know, schedule, and I could still make an impact on people's lives. And it's probably a better, it's probably a bigger picture and, and more rewarding in the long term, anyway. And then all of a sudden, all those positions start to get cut, and then the way they got cut. And um, you know, I know that uh, it's 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 there's there's still um, some good. Companies that are still involved, Exos obviously being one of those, and from but a lot of those, those from the from the, the actual from the military side started to get cut. So all of a sudden, that outlet is no longer there. The other thing is a lot of these high schools are not up to par. If you go like in the states, if you're down south, southeast, every single high school will have a strength coach. They don't have a, have a legitimate program. Um, you go, you know, sometimes even up in this way, and you go up in the northeast, and you go to just different pockets, and, and they don't because, again, it goes back to that school administrator, that school board does not see the value in having just 
adding another gym coach to make the football team lift weights. And that's that is our job to make sure we're educating. So, you know, to me, I just think that you know I would love to see some kind of a program where you know people can can go in and get you know I thought I thought like you said you know having like a you know this is this is so abstract and this is kind of the next thing I'm, I'm working on writing is like you know you have what if what if every person that wanted to be a strength coach would have to would have to teach you know teach in the inner cities for for a year before they were eligible to become a strength coach in the university sounds crazy and there's probably no way it can happen but you know what what happened what has to happen is a lot of these exercise science majors they don't know how to teach and coaching is teaching yeah and i have no idea how to stand in front of somebody and just to get my point across and you know if you're teaching you know at that young age you know you've got about 30 seconds before you lose them better get your point across and at least get them engaged enough that you can go to the next activity and I think that if, if, if low strength coaches had more teaching experience um, it probably you know obviously it'd probably be a benefit to everybody um, you know and, and give them more experience that that, that, that can really be, be meaningful and you know the people that the, the, the people that really don't need interns will have abundance of interns you know the problem is the higher up you are if you're at the professional or the, 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 the large college level, you will have, there will be more, more demand for interns, or more supply of interns, and you will do less. At that small school level, all of a sudden, there's less, there's, 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 there's more of a demand, there's less supply, and you actually do more. So for me, I'm trying to find a high school or the smallest, and again, if I want to be a strength coach, it's probably the easiest way for me to do it, if I'm not coaching a sport, is to volunteer at a high school and really just try to make that program my own. Uh, because again, that's that's really uh, where the void is, and, and, and you know we just don't, uh, you know the haves are just going to keep getting getting more and more because people are just enamored with the logo on the shirt and not the impact they're making on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's now, sorry. Every question you <laughs> ask, I'm going off on a tangent. No, oh, I love it, but. <laughs> It's funny you should actually mention that you talk about the logo and the fact that that schools might be the answer because, you know, t- to give you an example, I have a friend out here in Sydney. He does um, twenty five hours a week with a private school running their gym, and uh, I think he's paid eighty thousand dollars a year. And then I have a friend uh, who works at the Premiership level uh, for a, for a high level club. He's the the number three guy in the in the organization. He's in his third year in professional sport. And he's paid about $25,000 a year. And you look at the discrepancy there. Like you said, there's, there's such competition at that high level that people are willing to do it for less and less and less. And, you know, if, if you do want to make money and, and make it livable, school might actually be the answer. Yeah, I, 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 this one thing, I, you know, the reason why, you know, there's, there's a full-time strength coach, you know, can, can, you know, they have the audacity of getting started off at, you know, you know high 20s or low 30s. Uh, and I'm not saying there's a strength coach over there making good money up, but you know a lot of times they make that. And the reason they do is because the reason why athletic directors will pay them that much is because they can. They can get away with it. Yeah. You know, I, I just you know when you're having you know, upwards, if you're having you know 100, 200, 300, 400 applications for a full time position, um, I mean, you know, where do you even as an administrator, where do you even start? You know, all of a sudden now, that's why you know to me every time that we would post a position and we knew it was going to be a very low paying, we make sure that you post the, the salary because all of a sudden that eliminated half the people that are applying for the position. <laughs> it pays that. It's like you're, you have to do this, 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 and it pays that. You know, and, and I and I think that's that. But at the same time, and I really go back to you know, it's they're going to be unfulfilled. They get to that level, and all of a sudden, and I think we we as you know we always I heard this before, and I don't know 
sudden we get very disappointed. Like, I didn't think it would be like this. I thought it would be like, I thought it would be better. And, and it never is, it's never as, as good as you think it's going to be. And a lot of it is what you make of that situation. And, and I really do think that, that we have a, a, a big issue with people getting into coaching for the wrong reasons. And especially if, you know, I think a really good thing to do is if you are trying to, if you're you're in a situation where I'm ready to volunteer, I'm ready to set out on that journey, I'm ready to become a strength coach, and I know what I'm going to have to do, I know the grind I'm going to have to have to go through to do there, to to be there. Um, Write down why you why why you want to become a strength coach in the first place. You know what what is it about strength conditioning that you wanted to that 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 you want to be so bad? I mean, is it really working in a weight room? Is it really telling people you're a strength coach? I mean, it's really uh, you know your, uh, your 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 accolades. I mean, I mean, really, what is what what is the the, the the core reason you became a coach in the first place? And that'll really help you kind of steer. Okay, maybe I don't need to be at this level. Maybe I maybe I can make create my own kingdom uh, and have more of an impact on people. And I think that's that's really what people who are young coaches. It's going to take them a while. They they probably won't listen. Um, they'll probably have to learn that on their own. But you know that that is really what uh, what they have to they have to be. That's some great advice. Um, that that's awesome. <laughs> can you um you you've mentioned a couple already, but can you kind of touch on some of the mentors that you've had in your career and and what are the big lessons that you've learned from those guys? Oh look, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't tell you enough how many people have been, you know, uh, just such a, an influence on me, and I hope people kind of, um, you know, to to give respect to these people. I, I was I interviewed Frank Wittrick on uh, uh, last week. Podcast and I and Corey Schlesinger too, two you know top strength coaches uh, in in here in the states and you know both of them had always said you know they they, they were worried about they sound like they were name dropping and uh, I'm I'm a name dropper as well and I always you know think back it's like I, I just because I don't I want to give credit where credit's due it's not because hey look at all the people I know I mean you know Dave Tate's giving me a platform where I can you know communicate with a lot of people it doesn't mean that they're you know it doesn't mean anything what it means is the impact those guys have on me. So if I sound like I'm name dropping, I'm not. But um, a lot of the, you know, when, when I grew up, you know, a lot of the coaches that that I didn't think had an influence on me, that I just, you know, I just really was, was frustrated with, have been my best mentors. You know, guys like Mayor Lamouk and Blair Wolbach. Blair was my first, you know, full time coach that I worked for at Allegheny, and uh, he's at a high school now. And uh, also, you know, Mayor Lamouk, who was who I played for and coached for. The best thing that Malin did was when he had a full-time position open, he didn't hire me. And I think not because he didn't care about me, because he did care about me. He knew that if I was a player at Clarion, I coached a student coach at Clarion, I was a GA at Clarion, and then I became a full-time coach at Clarion, I was not going to be a very good coach because that's the only thing I knew. That's the only way I knew it. So the best thing he's there, and I really appreciate everything he's done for me. And I was mad at him at first because he didn't hire me, but I realized that that dude really cared because the easiest thing he could have done was hire me because there was no learning curve. I already had my own recruiting area. I already had. I already could run the weight program. I already could, you know, coach a position. I would, I would, you know, clinic other guys that came into the, you know, to the, uh, you know, to, to replace that position. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm clinicking these guys on how to be a D line coach in this system, why didn't he just hire me? But he knew. He knew enough not to hire me because he knew I would. I would be a better person for it. And then uh, Blair Robat was a guy that I almost got out of coaching because of. I'll be honest with you, and, um, but and I never really, you know, dealt, told I told the story to, to some of our office mates. But you know, he sat me in a car one day and he looked at me. He goes, "Why should I not fire?" 
Wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, because I was, I was, I was the shortcut guy, you know, I just, I wasn't going through, I just, you know, if I didn't think that, you know, what, I, that's not important, so I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, and, and basically I was cutting corners and I remember, you know, not being honest with a player and, you know, him calling me out on it. And, um, you know, I, I remember that me being so mad that, that finally when I said, you know what, this dude's right. Probably one of the best things now. Uh, I, you know, I would do whatever he needed for me, just because at the time I wanted to kill him. You know, I wanted to throw him out there. <laughs> That's what I needed. And I think the problem is we get so sensitive now that we, you know, we all of a sudden we get back to that uh, very defensive when people tell us the truth and people don't want to hear the truth sometimes, especially when it's about ourselves. But um, you know, and when I went on, I mean, the guys like Jim Glugowski, who's the head coach at Simpson College, Tony Kincheski, who's at Barry College. You know, those guys. You know, really learned so much from them guys as far as you know how to treat athletes. I learned from from, from Jimmy Glow. You know, he was one of those guys that you know when a player when a player did something wrong, they they generally felt like they let down their best friend. And he got those guys. He was the ultimate foot player coach because when those guys you know when they 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 didn't do the job they wanted to or they, they you know they they had to make a mistake. They just were disappointed in themselves because they let Jimmy down, not because they were scared he was going to yell at them or anything else. And that's why I started to realize, like, you know, you're, we're dealing with grown men and grown women. They don't, they're not scared. They're not like, oh, he's going to make a throw or he's going to yell at me. Like, they don't, they're immune to that. Yeah. They, they block that stuff out as quickly as they can put on a, you know, put, put, put their iPod on. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they don't, that doesn't affect them. But when you really get to the point where they feel like they let down the whole world, disappointed because you and again what that happens is when when someone's disappointed in you it's because they know they believe in you and they know you can do better you know someone being mad at you or if they start to be indifferent with you you know you're in trouble because they don't think you can do it in the first place but when someone's really disappointed it's just really because they they believe in you and that's that disappointment is really a, a, a bigger motivator than people get credit for um and then when i got straight the interesting stronger as well was um i'm sorry i'm long-winded but Hopefully, I can give you a couple of different points about you know bringing all these different qualities of men- mentors. But when Sean was, he's at Arizona State now. But when he was at at Tulsa, what I learned from him was he was never too far up. He was never too far down. He was always consistent with those athletes. And if they made a mistake, they knew what the punishment was. He was always transparent. He was always upfront. Uh, we had a guy, you know, we had a guy miss miss uh, Friday workout in the summer. They knew what they had to do. He didn't yell. He wouldn't disappoint. He says, "Listen." This is what this is what you have to do now. So they had to do they had to you know they had to they had to do a plate push with a bumper on a rubber rubber floor oh. like 150 yards. <laughs> and, and they had to do they had to do Mondays they had to do Monday or Fridays I'm sorry they had to do Monday speed session Monday's lower body workout Friday's upper body workout and then Friday's conditioning after they did their plate pushes and I said that's fine that's that's what it is and he did not he did not you know waver from that and he was consistent and those players always knew you know what he what he stood for, what he was about, and they knew that they, they was about them. Um, and then when I went, to, I got hired at the Army at Scott Swanson. Um, here's a guy who at West Point has had more impact on people that were defending our country than probably anybody. I mean, this is a guy that uh, you know, he was a rock, and I know that he's you know he, he went through. When I seen him going through, you know, his wife had passed away with cancer, and at that time I had left right before she had passed, and but to see how his strength dealing with that, and I pissed him off so many times because I was looking for the next job. 
I, I made a business. This is why I can say that I lived the, if I get this job, I, I'll be better off. I'll be able to do everything I want to do, and I'll, you know, uh, want to get more money, and I'll do my own thing. I can set my own hours, and what I didn't realize is that I needed to do a better job when I was in Army, and I, I just, toward the end, I started realizing, like, I need to be big time here. I can make this, I, can, I, I, I owe it to these players and these athletes, and, uh, you know, and Scott was one of those guys, I mean, to, to, to go through five to six different football coaches at West Point, uh, it says a lot about what kind of, uh, you know, he in, in basically put his feet in cement there at West Point, became, you know, the guy, because people, you know, could depend on him, trust on him, and they knew that they were about him, and, and just, uh, he's one of those guys just lead by example. Um, you know, and then, but Jack, you know, the last one, I can't talk about everybody, but Jack Hayer, um, I learned a lot about him, you know, he, he was the one guy that taught me about, he was, uh, he's my oldest daughter's godfather, he is the head football coach at, at, um, at uh, Denison, and, and of course we would get into some heated, heated conversations, but at the same time, you know, he, he was, uh, he cared about those athletes, and, and, and he wanted, he was the one that taught me about, well, who are you coaching for, you know, and, and like I said, too many times, I talked to Dave about this um, the other day, we had a conversation with the staff, and and we're talking about some different coaches, especially in the private sector. And, you know, we figured out that it takes us about probably 30 seconds to realize if that coach is coaching for the athlete or if they're coaching for their ego. You know, you know that you see them. You see those coaches that are real loud and want everybody to know how smart they are and how they help the athlete, you know, get them a better squat position. You know, meanwhile, they, <laughs> you know, it's something everybody would have done. You can tell that. I think that that's one thing that Jack had. He had no, no tolerance for anyone that, that was not about their athletes and the athletes and the betterment of them. They, 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 he did not like the, the self-promoters and self-righteousness of that sometimes coaches get into because it goes back to, like I said, I mean, there's no one advocating for a strength coach and no one can really tell us, you know, whether we're doing a good job or not. I mean, there's really no objective, uh, you know, feedback that, that, that says that. So all of a sudden you turn a profession of selfless people into self-promoters because they don't have any kind of system to say, okay, you're doing a good job and, and you have worth in our system. So, but Jack taught me that. He taught me about, you know, you know the, the old thing, I think it was a Woody Hastings, you know, um, you know, value all people, praise all effort, but reward performance. And you can like a kid as a great kid, works hard, but it's all about how that kid performs. And I think you can, you can do that. You can, you know, there's a difference between equality and equity. And I learned a lot about that from him. And it obviously Dave Tate, you know, people, People don't know Dave. They know the, the sometimes the internet Dave, and I think that if you, you really, I, I've never, you know, uh, you know, even to a fault, he is about what he says he's about. You know, that live, learn, pass on. That's not a, that's not a acronym or, a, or just a motto to sell more T-shirts. That's that's what he's about. That's what Elite FTS is about. Um, and again, the amount of free information that we've been able to give out, the fact that you know, people don't really. Earn, they don't. They don't get in a situation where they take the power. They, you know, they've they've made. There's no such thing as a self-made man. I don't care what you say. I'll, I'll agree with you. The only any impact that I have on any kind of coach out there is because Dave Tate allowed me to do it. That's it. He's given me the platform, and I think that you know the fact that 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 we've been in a situation where you know almost to a fault that we're gonna you know dedicated to you know we have a lot more people in our content side than we have on our sales side. Which I'm not saying it's the best business model, but that's we. What the company knows what we're about. We know what we believe in and what we're trying to do, and, and that's something that I got from Dave, and I'll always be you know, appreciative of that. So, 
That was a really long version, so I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. There's too many. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing without those guys. No, I'm, I'm glad you finished on Elite FTS. I have to say, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this, not familiar with with the company, then they, they absolutely need to uh, to check it out and obviously um, check out your podcast. Now, just kind of wrapping up, where can people find you online and, and get in contact with you? Well, I have to say, I, I honestly don't care if anyone else listens to this. I'm going to go back and listen to this myself again and again. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. It's definitely an honor. And like I said, the things that you're doing, Kerry, um, it, it means a lot, I think, to the industry. It means a lot because, again, I, I think there's a lot of coaches that are, um, you know, they, they, they need to, to be able to, to get that information, to be able to help their athletes. And I think that's just really, um, you know, I think we're, we're kind of all in this together. So it's... Uh, it's, it's an honor to be a part of it. It's, it's really a good, good, good cause that, that what you're doing. Thank you very much.